Father, we just uh, come to you tonight, Lord, uh, because you're awesome and mighty. And Lord, we just thank you for the scripture that you've given us. And Lord, I just pray uh, that your spirit would fill this place and that, Lord, that we would uh, each learn exactly what it is you have for us from the scriptures tonight. Just pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Genesis 48. We're going to do three chapters, so we got to, uh, we're going to cover a lot of territory tonight. I'm going to finish Genesis. So starting verse 1, uh, chapter 48. So we still have New King James Bibles back there if you don't have a New King James. And uh, if you need one, uh, feel free to take it, take it home with you, do whatever you want with it. Give it to a friend. So starting at verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob, Jacob was told, Look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me in Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I I came to you in Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. So Jacob is basically, uh, he's claiming uh, Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, to be his own sons, kind of adopting them on the spot, so to speak. And they're going to become part of the 12 tribes of Israel. In verse 6, it says, Your offspring whom you beget after them shall be yours, and they will be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. And so uh, what we're looking at here is Jacob is basically he's on his deathbed at this point. He's at the very end of his life. And so he's so he's telling Joseph this stuff. And then the very next thing he talks about is um, Rachel. Uh, I, you remember way back when we first started the story when when uh, Jacob shows up at Laban's house and uh, Rachel's there at the well. And he just, I mean, just like his heart just goes like this, you know. And he falls in love with Rachel, kisses her on the spot. Very, And he never, ever lost that throughout his whole life. And so at the end of his life, you know, he goes back and he remembers Rachel. And he says in verse 7, But as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel uh, died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way. And there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. And so... Uh, he, I think Rachel was always at the forefront of his mind uh, for for his whole life. And uh, so in verse 8, uh, Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, Please bring them to me and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age and so he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near to him, and he kissed them and embraced them. Uh, And Israel uh, said to Joseph, "Uh, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. And so I think Jacob is really kind of reflecting on, really on the greatness of God in his life. Now, 
he'd spent more than 20 years thinking that uh, Jacob was dead. And so now he's been, he's come down to Egypt and, and Joseph is not dead. And uh, now he's actually there uh, meeting with Joseph's boys. And it's probably uh, the last thing that he ever could have imagined. So, you know, 20 years is a long time if you think about it to be in the middle of something like that. You know, we know it broke his heart and uh, when it initially happened. And, and we know from the testimony that uh, Judah gave when he was talking to, to Joseph when he didn't know Joseph was Joseph. And uh, we know it was still heavy on his uh, father's heart. And so I guess the point is, is that, that, you know, the same thing could apply to us. You could be in the middle of like really tough times and it could be tough times for a long time and you get to the point where you've given up hope and here we see that Jacob was in that exact spot where he had actually given up hope and you know what happens is you know God not only brings back his favorite son but he also um, uh, allows him to you know meet with his grandchildren you know you can't really understand that until you have grandchildren I think but uh, it's a pretty amazing thing but but uh, it made me think uh, Jesus in Matthew 19, verse 26, he said, he's talking to his disciples and they were talking about the easier for a rich man uh, to go through an eye of a, uh, eye of a, what was it? The camel go through the eye of the needle. <laughs> exactly. And then a rich man entering the kingdom of heaven. And, and, they, and, and Jesus said to him, but with men, this is impossible. But with God... All things are possible. And so um, that is, uh, you know, that's surely true. And I think if if Jacob were able to talk today, uh, I'm sure we'd get a big giant amen on uh, with God, all things are possible. Because that definitely uh, came true in his life after 20 years. So Joseph is bringing Ephraim and Manasseh to visit his father. We're in verse 12. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees and he bowed down with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. So you see he's bringing them, the text tells us he's bringing them a certain way, right? And um, in verse 14 it says, Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, uh, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life, all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from the evil, and so that angel there would be the angel of the Lord. Okay, He says, bless the, the lads. Let my name be named upon them in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So Jacob is, he wanted to, uh, he wanted Ephraim and Manasseh to receive the blessing that God had given to Abraham, uh, Isaac, and, and Jacob himself. And so now Joseph, verse 17, now Joseph saw that his father had laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim. It displeased him. So he told, 
he, he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said uh, to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. You remember at the beginning, he had him walking up in a certain order so that the right hand would go on the older and the left hand would go on the younger. Well, when they came up, uh, Jacob did the little switcheroo. He did something like this, right? And so J- uh, Joseph is trying to follow the cultural tradition where the blessing goes to the oldest son. So in verse 19, but his father refused and said, I know my son, I know. He also shall become a people and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So what Joseph said right here is... Uh, uh, it comes true, uh, uh, the tribe of Ephraim becomes like a major player uh, in the northern kingdom. This is years down the line after they come into the land. So verse 20, so he blessed them that day saying, by you Israel will bless saying, may God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. Uh, first, verse 21, Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I'm dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given you a one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of, Am- of uh, Amorite with the, my sword and my bow. So verse, uh, excuse me, chapter 49. Chapter 49 is... Uh, it's hard to describe what chapter 49 is. And Jacob is kind of given his blessings, kind of almost kind of like uh, he's alive, but he's kind of like reading his will, but he's really given a prophecy for what's going to happen in the future. So anyway, let's just read through this. It's, it's a kind of interesting read. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 49, it says, Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you uh, what shall befall you in the last days. Gather together and hear, you sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. So we know that Jacob and Israel are the same guy. So it starts off with the sons of, of Leah. Uh, she had six sons. and So it starts off with Reuben. It says, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. Unstable as water, you shall not excel uh, because you went up into your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up onto my couch. And so Jacob, he remembers the affair uh, that Reuben had with Bilhah. Remember Bilhah was Rachel's uh, handmaid and she was also the mother of his brothers, Dan and Naphtali. So it was kind of a, it was not a good thing uh, that he did. And so it's interesting, though, because there's no judge, no prophet, uh, no ruler came from the line of Reuben. This basically, I mean, he talked to him here, but nothing ever became of anybody from the line of Reuben. Verse 5 Simeon and Levi are brothers. Uh, Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their counsel. Let not my honor be united 
to their assembly, for in their anger they slew a man. And, you know, remember, this was in Shechem, right? And uh, they actually killed a lot of people in Shechem. Uh, and, and their self-will, they hamstrung an ox. I don't know if you know what that means, but they just basically, uh, just out of pure meanness, it sounds like, they went to an ox, and if they cut the hamstring, if you know where the hamstring is on, if you ever pulled a hamstring, it's very painful. Anyway, they cut the hamstring, and what that really does is it literally cripples the ox. And so maybe they got some kind of perverted joy out of it, I'm not sure. But anyway, he says in verse 7 there, he says, Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So uh, so what you'll see as you read on farther in the Bible in Joshua, where they start dividing the land up and stuff, and that uh, Simeon was absorbed into the tribe of Judah. So he didn't really have his own tribe, and, and uh, the... The the only thing that saved the Levites is later uh, they opposed the idolatry when when Moses went up on the mountain and the people were down there and they did the you know they did the whole golden calf thing and so the the Levites at that point they opposed that idolatry and that uh, redeem, redeemed them in the eyes of God and so uh, what happened is they got dispersed amongst uh, various cities throughout the land of Israel. So, but they didn't get their own uh, areas. So they, it, it's kind of interesting that uh, that the the tribe of Levi, you know, one of the most violent brothers, became the priests in Israel. Uh, it's, uh, but that's kind of the way God works sometimes. I think the most unlikely people uh, are the people that God will raise up to, you know, to do good things. Uh, uh, even if you look at the Calvary Chapel movement, some of the the very early pastors that that came out of uh, what I call Big Calvary in Costa Mesa uh, were just you know I know one for a fact was a delirious drug addict, uh, just completely out of his mind, and God turned that guy around. And uh, I think another one was a pretty much a Vietnam biker kind of guy, and. Uh, you know, God did amazing things with uh, with these guys. And I heard one guy say once that uh, God uses crooked sticks to hit straight licks. Yeah, you know, and I, I think that's a pretty good way of saying it. So, so in some ways, you know, it's kind of you think, wow, these Levites—they were at least Levi himself was a pretty violent guy. And you know, in a perfect world, those guys would never end up being the priests, right? But you know. I think God's got a sense of humor. So I guess if there's hope for the Levites, there's uh, hope for you and me. So verse 8, it starts with uh, Judah. Uh, And uh, Judah is kind of a play on words because Judah's name is really is praised, okay? So it says, Judah, uh, you are whom your brother shall praise. So praised, you are whom your brother shall praise. I don't know, I thought that was kind of neat, but... Anyway, your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies and your father's children shall bow down before you. So he's talking about his brothers, right? Uh, Judah is a lion's whelp. A whelp is a baby lion. And from the prey, my son, uh, you have gone up. He bows down, he lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? So 
it's uh, it's kind of simplistic, really. Um, if you think about it, uh, the lion is you know the king of the jungle, and the kingly uh, line to the Messiah comes through the t- tribe of Judah. In uh, verse ten, is the scepter shall not depart uh, from Judah. So a scepter. I don't know if you know what a scepter is or not, but uh, I got a picture of one here. So let's see. I'm trying to. Okay, you can actually rent that if you want. <laughs> yes. So this guy is obviously dressed like a king, but this thing over that he's holding in his hand here is a scepter. And uh be honest with you, uh that's a very big scepter. Usually are I think the ones that I've seen anyway, uh like the one that the Burger King uh is holding, you know, the Burger King king, he has a scepter. His is much shorter than that. <laughs> but uh not to make fun of it or anything, but the scepter was a, you know, a sign of sovereignty for the king. And one king he would pass it on to the next king. And so uh that's what a actual scepter is. So if I leave that up there, are you guys going to keep staring at it? No, don't. don't. Okay. So anyway, he says the scepter, scepter shall not depart from Judah. In other words, he's establishing there's going to be a line of kings here uh, in the tribe of Judah. Uh, he says, nor a lawgiver uh, from between his feet. So the lawgiver is another reference that the royal line will uh, emerge through Judah. In other words... Uh, that if if you're if you're the king, you know, and you're the lawgiver, you're uh, and so and in Isaiah nine, I just want to read this because Isaiah nine six and seven really kind of explains it better than I could. It says, and you're probably familiar with this from Christmas time. It says, "For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful." Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. To order it and to establishment uh, it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And so uh, this... uh, He's establishing this thing of Judah as the kingly line to the Messiah. So I'm going to start at verse 10 again. It says, The scepter shall not uh, depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from begin his feet, until Shiloh comes. So Shiloh is literally means uh, to whom it belongs. I mean, that's the literal meaning of it. But to whom it belongs, it's referring back to what? The scepter and the lawgiver, right? And so... It's the scepter and the lawgiver belong to the Messiah, so uh, Jesus Christ. And so the uh, the uh, the Old Testament Hebrew scholars would they would just say that, that that Shiloh was the Messiah because he's the king. It's who it belongs to, right? Uh, and then then it goes on. It says, and unto him the Messiah shall be the obedience of the people. Then verse 11, 
binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. Uh, his eyes were darker than wine and his teeth were whiter than milk. And so, you know, I studied that uh, verse 11 and 12. Uh, spent a lot of time on that and uh, I come to the conclusion nobody knows exactly what that means. Uh, there's a lot of really smart guys, a lot smarter than me that one guy will say this, another guy will say that. I think one thing, it sort of it refers to uh, the millennium. Yeah, I just let it go with that. If, that. if you really want to know about that, you can really drive yourself crazy like I did, uh, trying to figure it out. Verse 13, though, Zebulun shall dwell uh, in the haven of the sea, and he shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall adjoin Sidon. Ishkar is the strong donkey lying down between two burdens. Uh, he saw that rest was good and that the land was pleasant. He bowed his shoulder to bear the burden, and he became a band of slaves. So Leah had six sons. We just went through them. Reuben, Simon, and Levi, and those guys there are kind of sketchy. Uh, Judah, uh, Judah was, uh, well, he's the tribe that was chosen for the, you know, the Messiah to come from. I mean, there's great honor. And Zebulun and Ishkar, they're, uh, I would call them the, the blue-collar tribes. Uh, you know, they're, he's just saying that they're going to be hard workers, basically. Uh, verses, uh, starting at verse 16, uh, uh, we're going to get to the sons of Bilhah, uh, Rachel's maid. And so then, uh, verse 16, Dan, which means to judge, he shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heel so that its rider shall fall backward. I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. So Jacob associates Dan with a snake or a serpent. and uh, His tribe would actually become known for their sneak attacks. Uh, they might have been in our day... Uh, 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 SEAL Team 6, uh, and and also, though, for their idolatry. Uh, they really fell heavily into idolatry, and as you read through Joshua and uh, further on, you this stuff comes out. Uh, Dan is actually left out of the genealogies. In First Chronicles, there's a lot of genealogies again, and he's not in there, and he's not in the one in Revelation chapter 7 either. But... Uh, for the Bible trivia folks, uh, Samson came from the tribe of Dan. So, so the son of Zilphaz, uh, Leah's maid, uh, Gad, a troop shall tramp upon him, and he shall triumph at last. Bread from Asher shall be rich, and he shall yield royal dainties. So Zilphah had two sons, Gad and Asher. And then we go to Naphtali. They kind of mixed them up. They didn't group all the sons by their mom. They kind of took, Naphtali got kind of out of order here. Uh, that's a question I have to ask when we get to heaven. Um, Why did you do that? Uh, but anyway, Naphtali is a deer let loose. He uses beautiful words. So Bilhah had two sons, Dan and Naphtali. And so now we come to the sons of Rachel. And uh, so we know that Rachel was... Jacob's first love and really the last wife to actually uh, bear him children. You remember, they, after 20 years, they were praying to have kids. And uh, so uh, the sons of Rachel. So in verse 32, Joseph is a 
Fruitful bough or vine is another thing you put there. A fruitful bough by a well. His branches run over the wall. So uh, he he kind of paints an imagery here of uh, you know this this vine or by the by a well and the branches are going up and growing over the wall. It's like uh, reminds me of the wild blueberry bushes that used to grow down by the creek and the back 40 of this farmer used to pick raspberries on. Uh, just a really nice spot. And it, it, they use the same Im- imagery in Psalm 1. I'll read you Psalm 1, uh, 1 through 3. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water uh, that brings forth its fruit in, in its season, whose leaf is also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. And I think that kind of describes, uh, we know the life of Joseph. I think that describes his life, actually. Verse 23, the archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him, and hated him. And this is kind of a reference to the troubles that Joseph had in his life as brothers coming against him. But his bow remained in strength, and his arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. And so, you know, they say that that once you get past the book of Genesis, there's really nothing new in the Bible. Everything everything that's going to happen in the Bible Something like it has already happened in the book of Genesis. And so we have this reference there. He says, from there is the shepherd and the stone of Israel. So Jesus is the shepherd. Jesus said in John ten eleven, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And if you go to John 10, we could have done a pretty, there's a lot about Jesus being the good shepherd in John chapter 10. So, you know, that's something you could uh, go back and read on. And then, and Jesus is the stone also. And I just took the verses that came from the New Testament, but there are many references in the old about uh, the Messiah being the shepherd and the stone, the shepherd and the stone. But as you go through in the New Testament, they show up. And so, we got one on the shepherd, and now we'll get one on the stone. In First Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 7, it says, Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But, those, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And a stone of a stumbling and a stone of offense, they stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So, you know, uh, Jacob gives us, you know, the reference, the first reference that I'm aware of, that the Messiah is the shepherd, he's also the stone. In verse 25 it says, by the God of your Father who will help you and by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb, 
the blessings of your father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors up into the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. So Joseph, Joseph was blessed. Okay. Uh, uh, at verse 27, he goes to Benjamin. And this, of course, is the last brother now. It's kind of interesting because you would have thought that there would have been more for Benjamin. Uh, but there's only uh, one verse. This is Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. And in the morning he shall devour the prey. And at night he shall divide the spoil. Um, and... I'm just going to leave it there. There's quite a bit, actually, you could talk about Benjamin. And uh, Benjamin, even though he had the most amount of sons, uh, you would thought he would have been one of the biggest tribes, but there was uh, a lot of issues within the tribe of Benjamin uh, down the line. In verse 28, all these, all of the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is what their father spoke to them, and he blessed them, and he blessed each one according to his own blessing. Then he charged them, and he said to them, I'm gathered to my people, Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in, in the field of Ephron the, the, the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought in the field from Ephron the Hittite as a possession for a burial place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife, and there they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife, and there they buried Leah, the field and the cave that is there were purchased from the sons of Heth. And, then, and when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up onto the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. So Genesis 50, Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him, kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the, fish, the physicians embalmed uh, Israel. Forty days were required for him, for such are the days required for those who are, embal- who are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him seventy days. And so, I don't know if you know it or not, but it was actually, the, they put that in there because seventy days was actually an honor that Jacob would be uh, honored for, uh, mourned for seventy days. Uh, when they mourned for the Pharaoh, who was, you know, kind of the top dog, they only mourned for 72 days. So two days less than the Pharaoh. So Jacob was uh, certainly uh, looked at in very high regard. So verse 4, Now when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear saying, Behold, I am dying in my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. There you shall bury me. Now, therefore, please let me go up and bury my father, and I will come back. So you notice that I think that there's a new Pharaoh, because before Jacob had direct access to the Pharaoh, and now he's going into the household of the Pharaoh, and he's saying, Hey, please let the Pharaoh know this. So I think, you know, the situation is, you know, it's a few years have passed by, and I think, Maybe the 
the original Pharaoh may have died. That's the way it seems anyway to me. And so, and the Pharaoh said, go up in, in verse 6, the Pharaoh said, go up and bury your father as he has made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. Uh, with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well of all those of the house of Joseph, his brother and his father's house. Only their little ones, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And, and there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great gathering. If you think about it, that it was a lot of people there. Because uh, when, uh, just in Jacob's house, we know there were 70, you know, plus he had 10 grandchildren, so they stayed behind. So there was at least 60 just there, or 59, because uh, Jacob's dead now, plus all these other people. So there was probably... I'm guessing, you know, a funeral procession, two, three hundred people that go up to his funeral. Uh, so uh, so uh, then they came to the threshing floor of Atad. So I'm going to show you that. Or Atad, I'm not sure how you do it. So you can see here, they're over here in Goshen. And they go up here to Atad, the threshing floor there. So they're talking about this. But... Down here is where they bought the... It was kind of interesting. I'm wondering, did they go up this way? I'm just trying to figure out, because they went farther north, and then they had to come back down to uh, the actual burying place, which was would have been in Hebron. So anyway, starting again in verse 10, it says, Then they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is uh, beyond the Jordan. Uh, and they mourned there with a great and very solemn lamentation. Uh, he observed seven days of mourning for his father. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, uh, this is a deep mourning of the Egyptians. Therefore, its name was called Abel Mizram, uh, which is beyond the Jordan. Uh, so his sons did for him just as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him off to the land of Canaan, and they buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite as property for a burial place. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers and all who went with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us, and may actually repay us for all the evil that we have did to him. So it's not really sure if this happened like right when their father died or did it happen when they came back. I think maybe when they got back. But uh, anyway, their guilt returns, right? So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, Before your father died, he commanded saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph. Now you've got to wonder, did Jacob really tell them to say this or are they just saying that he said this you know knowing their background who knows but i'd say <laughs> i'd say they're suspect but anyway uh but uh the the thing is is they're so afraid they won't even approach joseph themselves you know they have messengers say it to joseph and so this is what they tell the messenger to say i beg you please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin for they did evil to you. 
Now please forgive the trespass of your servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. So I think, I think there's a gap here, just reading the text. I think there's a gap. I think the messenger gave him the message. I think that uh, Joseph called his brothers in, and the brothers are there, and they spoke to him, and he says when they, he wept when they spoke to him. So he's kind of tore up at this point. And then in verse 18, then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? So uh, uh, Joseph, uh, he's not going to, you know, he's not going to put revenge onto his brothers. He's not going to do it. And and Romans actually uh, talks about this. And I think uh, if you want an example of this text that's in Romans, and then you'd just go back to this line and you'd look and see what Joseph did. And so Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 17, it says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for the good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peacefully with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So the thing about heaping coals of fire on someone's head, uh, what that is is they had this little clay pot thingy that had a, it's kind of like this on the bottom, and it was like this on the top. What they would do if your fire went out in your house, uh, you'd go to your neighbor's house and say, hey, man, I let my, my fire died out. So they'd put coals into that pot, and then they'd put the pot on their head, and then they'd walk back to the, they'd walk back to their house, and they could start their fire again. And so if you really heap the coals on her, you're doing the guy a big favor, right, by giving him a lot of coals. So that's what it's about. So back in Genesis verse 20, it says, But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about it as this day to save many people alive. And so um, Joseph's kind of told him this exact same thing before. Let me read it again. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about Bring about as it is this day to save many people. So even though their intentions were bad, they sold him into slavery, they hated their brother. Remember, they envied him. You know, we talk about envy and malice. had all that stuff going on. So that's why they're feeling guilty about it right now. And he's saying, don't worry about it. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good so that we can end up where we're at right now. So in Romans 8.28, I mean, everybody knows Romans 8.28 says, and we know that all things work together for good. All things, right? For those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So here again, we got this example where Paul writes this, but if you want to if you want to see that verse in action in the Bible, then you just look at the life of Joseph and what he how he treats his brothers. So it says uh verse twenty not verse twenty one, he says, Now therefore do not be afraid I will provide for you and your little ones. 
and he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So it's you kind of see the grace of God. You see Joseph is loving his brothers like God loves us. And you go back to Romans chapter 8 again in verse 35. It says, who, separ- who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? That is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the, sl- for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so basically, you know, that's the love that, that uh, Joseph extended to his brother. He said, you know, hey, don't worry about all this stuff. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of your kids. There's nothing here that's going to come between us. So, so uh, back in Genesis, verse 22, So Joseph dwelled in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children of uh, Machir, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees. So he probably uh, 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 basically adopted those kids the way that Jacob adopted uh um, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Joseph said to his brethren in verse 24, I'm dying, but God will surely visit you and he will bring you out of the land to the land which he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old and they embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. The end. It's a pretty amazing story, isn't it? It's just a tremendous story. So um, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. And Lord, uh, we see this just beautiful story unfold and so many twists and turns and just uh, all the things of life and Lord as we look as much as everything changes Lord we can see that everything stays the same and uh, Lord we know that uh, you're the same yesterday and today and forever and Father we just thank you for that we thank you for these uh, encouraging stories of uh, that we see here in the book of Genesis and Lord we just uh, pray that we would think about this stuff and think about who you are and uh, all the good things that you've done for us, done for us, and pray this in Jesus' name, Amen.